0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, our text for today is the Gospel reading, which I've already read. You may be seated. In his inaugural address, President John F. Kennedy concluded his speech with these now immortal words, ask not... What, you can, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. In his speech, President Kennedy was challenging Americans to rise to the occasion of safeguarding the liberties of man in an age when they were under threat of extinction by the rising power of communism in the world, especially in the form of the Soviet Union and their allies around the world. What you or I think about President Kennedy is immaterial. It's a great speech and you should go back and listen to it. You can find it on the internet. It's a, just a quick Google search away. However, this speech does highlight something about earthly kingdoms that is well worth noting. They live off the backs of their subjects. It doesn't matter if the government is conservative or liberal small or big, free or communist, Caesar makes his living off of the people's taxes. For instance, in the Old Testament, Israel existed for several generations in the Promised Land without a king. When when emergencies happened, usually coming in the form of the Philistine army, God would raise up one of the judges. We have a whole book in the Old Testament about these folks who would often go and deliver the people of God through some extraordinary means. They were sort of temporary leaders that were echoes of Moses or Joshua. You can almost fit Cincinnatus, that great Roman leader who was called upon to be basically a a despot for his people, but then went back to his fields after a crisis had passed. They fit into that mold. But eventually, the office of judge became institutionalized. Eli, the prophet, had made his sons judges and they were well-known scoundrels. After God punished Eli's house, he raised up the prophet Samuel to take his place. And eventually, Samuel likewise made his sons, Joel and Abijah, judges over Israel. They took bribes. They perverted justice. Eventually, the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel and said, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. After consulting with God, God reminded Samuel that they were not rejecting the prophet. Israel was, in fact, rejecting God as their king. So Samuel went back to the elders of Israel and said these words. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. So it is with earthly governments. It doesn't matter if it's David. It doesn't matter if it's Caesar. It doesn't matter if it's Trump or Biden. This is how earthly governments work. But you, O daughter of Zion, behold your king. He is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. The king does not live off of your back. Instead, he comes that you might live off the stripes that wounded his back. This is what St. Paul says of your king. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ Jesus is the kind of king whose humility moved him to forego the richness of heaven and his throne there in order to lift you out of your poverty, the poverty of your sin. Remember a few weeks ago, we heard the parable of the king, who is God, forgave his servant that astronomical debt of some 200,000 years worth of work. That is your God. Or consider what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake, God the Father made Christ Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ gave his life that God's righteousness would be your own. He took your sin and he gave you his very righteousness. Or consider what St. Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. In other words, Jesus takes our suffering that we deserve so that we might be brought back to the Father. Or consider what Jeremiah says in our Old Testament reading for today. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jesus, the very righteousness of God in the flesh, he is your righteousness before God the Father. Daughter of Zion, behold, this is your king. This is Christ Jesus. He is not a king who comes to tax your land and your livelihood. He is a king who comes to shed his holy and precious blood for you and to redeem you with his innocent suffering and death, that you might be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Indeed, this is your king, and he is coming but no longer humbly mounted on a donkey. But today he comes to you humbly under the forms of bread and wine to feed you with the righteousness that he has won for you. And this, people loved by God, is the whole point of this Advent season. Advent has almost become for us the season for getting ready for Christmas. And in a sense, it is that. However, in Advent, the church's focus is not backwards to the manger in Bethlehem, but it is forward to the return of our King. Advent is just a churchy word that means coming, and it is a confession that Jesus is coming, Not as the babe of Bethlehem, but he is coming at any moment. St. Paul said today, salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Advent, then, is not a time for just Christmas preparation, but it is preparation for Christ's Return when he will once and for all rescue us from this veil of tears and bring us to himself in heaven. And if there has ever been a time to let Advent be Advent, it's this year. That is, we should use Advent this year to focus on and to pray for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us do that this year, in this time, in these circumstances. So how do we do that? How do we prepare for the coming of our King? Well, this morning we're already getting prepared. We've done a lot of the heavy lifting already. We sing the Hosanna, the song that the the Palm Sunday crowds sang to Jesus when he rode into Jerusalem to die. We sing them now, not to the one who will die, but to the one who has died and has risen from the dead. This song, which means save us now, is our warm-up number for when we finally join the angels and the archangels and the whole company of heaven in divine service in the heavenly throne room. but there's also some prep work to do Monday through Saturday as well. St. Paul today urges us to cast off the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. That is, we should flee from the wickedness of our sin and our evil desires. We should flee from hatred and lust, from covetousness and greed. We should flee from hatred and lies, We should flee from the divisions and the quarreling in our midst. We should flee from anger. Do not make provisions for your sinful flesh. You are children of the light and you wear the armor of light, which is the very righteousness of Jesus that he gave to you in your baptism. Put on the Lord Jesus. That is, be Christ to your neighbor. My family and I, Got to see this firsthand the last few weeks when we were quarantined. I cannot tell you how many people called and texted to check up on us, just to see how we were doing. A lot of you brought meals and groceries to us. What a joy it was to see Christ in action through you. That is how we should be. Let us, then, As children of the day, bring that light of Jesus, our humble king, to our neighbors in this ever-darkening world. He gave up his life for us, and so now let us live our lives for those whom Christ has placed around us. And so, we ask not what we can do for our God, but we praise and thank him for what he has done for us. And in so doing, we then turn and we ask the right question. What might we do for our fellow countrymen in the kingdom of Jesus? In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.